Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Monday, July 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Attorney General Lynn Fitch amps up her rhetoric as Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban heads to the Supreme Court. Then, the state's latest COVID-19 spike threatens to overwhelm hospitals. And Jackson prepares for the federal eviction moratorium to lift. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. At some point within the next year, Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban will come before the Supreme Court. The case is expected to draw national attention as it presents justices appointed by former President Trump their first opportunity to rule on abortion rights. Since the landmark Roe v. Wade decision of 1973, it's been relatively rare for any abortion case to reach the country's highest court. Up until only a few days ago, though, state officials have declined to frame the case in such dramatic terms. Here's Governor Reeves in late June. I am for Roe v. Wade being overturned, but that is not what this lawsuit is about. Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, so we have just shy of 50 years, and there have been multiple cases that have been tried uh, over the years. While I personally would support overturning Roe v. Wade, this particular litigation is not asking the court to overturn Roe v. Wade. It is simply asking the court to recognize long-standing views that you can place limits on when abortions can occur and late-term abortions should not be allowed in the state of Mississippi. Late last week, the state's tone changed. In a brief filed Thursday, Attorney General Lynn Fitch writes, quote, There are those who would like to believe that Roe v. Wade settled the issue of abortion once and for all. But all it did was establish a special rules regime for abortion jurisprudence that has left these cases out of step with other court decisions and neutral principles of law applied by the court. She goes on to write, it is time for the court to set this right and return this political debate to the political branches of government, unquote. For the court to do what Fitch asks would be for it to overturn Roe outright. That's a seismic shift in rhetoric, and advocates who oppose abortion rights are thrilled. Among them is State Senator Joey Fillingain of Sumrall. He speaks with MPB's Desiree Frazier. I think some people were surprised at how strong the wording in the brief was, and I was very, very pleased with it. I think she hit the nail on the head and has made a direct challenge to the current abortion jurisprudence of this country. When you say 
hit the nail on the head, what do you mean? Well, I just mean she hit it out of the ballpark. She um, said essentially that the assumptions that the U.S. Supreme Court used both in the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision as well as the more recent Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision, which I think are considered probably the preeminent abortion jurisprudence in the United States. She basically said those assumptions are, are wrong. They were based on old thinking about women's roles in society and, and really outdated medical technology. We now know much, much more um, development goes on inside the womb at the very early stages of a pregnancy that because of the technology at the time, the court in 1973 was just guessing. They had really no idea. I'm not like we do today with the ultrasound technology and the advanced and uh, technical equipment that medical providers now have at their fingertips. So we know a lot more now in all fairness to the 1973 court than we did back when Roe was first decided. Something else she mentioned was about states' rights. How significant is that? Hugely significant. And, you know, the Tenth Amendment reserves all of the rights not specifically lined out in the Constitution to the state. And what the Attorney General is quite correctly saying is, look, the Constitution doesn't say a word about abortion. It doesn't talk about a right to privacy, a right to an abortion. These are all man-made creations by the U.S. Supreme Court post the founding fathers and the writing of the Constitution. She's saying since that issue was not directly addressed and clearly addressed in the United States Constitution or any of the subsequent amendments to the Constitution, this is an issue rightly left to the states to decide. And that doesn't mean there won't be abortion in the country if the U.S. Supreme Court agrees with Attorney General Fitch's position on this case. It simply means that that decision will move from Washington, D.C. out to the 50 state capitals, and each of the state legislatures are elected directly by the citizens of each state. will then have a say in how accessible abortion would be or how restrictive abortions would be in each of the given 50 states and territories. Those who favor abortion rights, like Lori Bertram Roberts of the Yellowhammer Fund, feel differently. They speak with MPB's Desiree Fraser. There's a reason why we don't let states decide about human rights, especially states like Mississippi. Because our state does not have a good track record in honoring people's human rights. We don't have a good track record in honoring people's human rights when it comes to race or uh, gender identity or sexuality. We don't honor people's human rights in a lot of ways because that's just the authoritarian and conservative nature of this state. But that doesn't make it okay because... Mississippi is still part of the United States of America, and federal law trumps and overrides what people do on the state level. And abortion is a human right, period. You know, Governor Tate Reeves just a few months ago was saying, oh, this isn't about Roe v. Wade. This is just about 15 weeks. Other people have been arguing that in op-eds. People within the pro-life movement have been saying, you know, this isn't about reversing Roe v. Wade. This isn't an attack on Roe v. Wade. This is just about, you know, 
having a ban on abortion towards for till 15 weeks. This wouldn't threaten anyone else. This wouldn't threaten anybody else's access in any other states. It's just about having a ban in Mississippi for 15 weeks. Everyone else would have access. Um, don't worry about it. And we now know what we already knew, which is that's a lie. Would you agree with the attorney general in a press release released about this? It was stated that there's been a shift in attitudes about abortion. Yeah, but not the way that Lynn Fitch thinks. There's been a shift in the attitudes towards abortion, but people are more supportive of abortion, not less. And people are less stigmatizing of abortion than they used to be. And I know this because I do organizing around abortion in the state of Mississippi, and I talk to people who consider themselves to be pro-life, and I talk to people who don't consider themselves to be quote-unquote pro-life. And overall, these conversations, I have a commonality in these conversations, and what most people say is that they understand why people make that choice. Even people who consider themselves to be quote-unquote pro-life understand why people have abortions, and mostly think that it's not their business to regulate whether or not people have the option to have an abortion. So when we look at polls on whether or not people want to keep abortion legal, there may be a spectrum on how legal they think it should be, but overwhelmingly Americans want legal abortion, and so do Mississippians. The Supreme Court is expected to issue a ruling on the Mississippi abortion case next year. Coming up, a COVID surge has hospitals worried. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Over the past few weeks, Mississippi's COVID-19 case count has climbed from a little over 100 new infections per day to now well over 1,000. At a medical association meeting on Friday, state epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers warned such a trend puts pressure on hospitals. They're, they're struggling um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, part of it is, is that the uh, nursing workforce, the healthcare workforce, has been denuded. Uh, they're exhausted. A lot of folks have left the field because of burnout. What I've been told is we have 2,000 less nurses now in in Mississippi than we had seven months ago. You know, which is which is which is really worrisome. And we also know that the hospitals are busy, and then we're we're having a massive explosion of COVID. You know, traditionally when we have uh, 100 cases of COVID, about seven eight percent of them end up in the hospital. So if we have 1,300 cases, then you can figure, you know, we're going to have about 100 more people just that one day. I mean, there's a lag, right? I mean, it takes a while for people to be in the hospital. So we're going to see in a week or two, the hospitals are really going to be struggling and uh, our deaths are going to increase. Our deaths are going to go up there, as well. There's just no doubt about it. Tim Moore of the Mississippi Hospital Association shares buyers' concern. He speaks with MPB's Ashley Norwood. Our staffing uh, issues seem to be worse than they were. Uh, even in some cases, some of our hospitals are reporting their staffing vacancies are even greater than they were during the peak pandemic. So you've got a multifactorial issue going on there. 
where you've got nurses and other providers, other care providers in the hospital that are experiencing burnout. They've just they've gone as far as they can go taking care of highly critical patients. You've got others that are seeking opportunities in neighboring states that can afford to pay more for those staff. It's it's a battle. And, and of course, now we're having conversations about the vaccination of, of hospital employees, which may actually even exacerbate the staffing issues more. I'm glad you brought that up because I know, uh, you know, UMMC, they recently made that announcement, and I believe it goes into effect uh, this coming week, uh, to require their employees and students uh, either be fully vaccinated or to wear those masks. Um, Do you think that starting with UMMC that it could be a domino effect? Do you expect other hospital settings or other healthcare settings to uh, adopt the same type mandates or rules, guidelines? Yeah, actually, that's a very timely question. Um, matter of fact, I'm, I'm getting on a call this afternoon with a number of the large system hospitals to have that conversation and, and talk through all the ramifications of it. Certainly, as the hospital association, we would like to see all healthcare providers vaccinated. Um, now, how each hospital chooses to do that certainly is their prerogative until some kind of action is taken by the State Board of Health to mandate it. Uh, or even um, professional associations, I guess, could actually do it as well as a conditional licensure. Not that that would be what would happen, but I mean, that, that's certainly a possibility. But we do know that, uh, particularly in our nursing homes, the increase or the, the conveying of the virus from one to the other is more spread by employees that are not vaccinated the patients are not actually spreading it among each other. It's coming from more of staff. So it becomes very important that our our hospital staff and our, our healthcare staff become vaccinated, not only to protect themselves, but to protect the patients that they're serving. At this point, is it safe to say that uh, the healthcare system in Mississippi is overwhelmed? And if so, how severely is it? And then, you know, as we see that numbers are continuing to increase, just kind of explain what typically follows in the weeks and kind of what you expect to come. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I won't say that we're completely overwhelmed now. Uh, I, I, I will be very clear in saying that we're on the verge of, of that occurring. Uh, as we said initially with the first wave, it's not a physical limitation. Our hospitals have beds, they have ICU beds, but they don't have the staff in order to staff those beds and be able to put patients in those beds. I know that I know there's so many things you're concerned about, but but that yep. is something that you're really concerned about right now. Two really um, major variables that, that I'm concerned about, and, and the first one being vaccinations. If we can vaccinate Mississippi, uh, if we can get beyond where we are, we're only a third of Mississippi is vaccinated for whatever the reason. And I, I know there are philosophical differences and, and there's there's issues that, that a lot of individuals have with vaccines, but it is a proven fact that if you get the vaccine, the probability of you getting COVID, Delta or the old COVID-19, uh, is much, much reduced. And we have to depend on that right now. If we do that and we're successful getting those vaccines out, then the staffing issue uh, is is not as big a deal in an acute situation. 
see if that makes sense. We have more time then to work on getting nurses out and, and uh, getting them back to work in the state of Mississippi. Uh, something that we work on constantly in, in all our healthcare professions is to keep them in Mississippi and, and to keep them working in healthcare in hospitals. As it is right now, and as you see the numbers start to grow in other states, they, it becomes extremely costly. And, of course, Mississippi providers are paid less than, than other states, uh, always have been, so they can't afford to pay the, the, the huge rates that uh, have come from the contract companies and, and uh, high demands of, of personnel. And you can't blame them. They can go somewhere else and make the money uh, and, and provide care. And it's just it's unfortunate that our hospitals are not reimbursed to the point that they can afford to pay those kind of salaries. Are there any guidelines or additional precautions that may, I know we talked about, you know, the potential of hospitals maybe requiring um, their employees to either be fully vaccinated or uh, like in, in the case of UMMC to wear the N95 mask, but are there any other guidelines that you think might be going into effect or, or maybe some things that we used to do that became lax that might be coming back into play because of this surge? couple things. I know with the nursing homes, the Board of Health, um, <clears throat> the Mississippi Department of Health has uh, mandated that healthcare workers be tested twice a week for COVID or have a vaccination. That's one of the things that is out there. One of the things that could definitely come back into play if the numbers continue to go up and we run into capacity issues um, even greater or get greater than they are now. In the Jackson area, it always comes first. Jackson always fills up. The Jackson metro area and their hospitals always fill up first. And then we start seeing things on the coast. We'll start seeing it in Tupelo, and it'll start spreading in other places. Uh, and it even it becomes difficult then to transfer patients from within the state to larger facilities, to tutorian-type uh, facilities for care. So one of the things that could very easily come into play relatively quickly would be the, the suspension of elected cases done in hospitals. Tim Moore, President and CEO of the Mississippi Hospital Association, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Actually, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Uh, happy to do it anytime. We expect an updated COVID-19 case count from the Department of Health later this morning. Coming up, Jackson stares down twin housing crises. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. The federal eviction moratorium will end on the 31st of July. One month later, on the 1st of September, the city of Jackson will begin to cut off service for residents delinquent on water and sewer payments. Systemic problems in the city's billing system have saddled some Jacksonians with months of backlogged bills. Now they may come due all at once. Elizabeth Dunbar was among the Jackson residents in attendance at an event late last week aimed at assisting residents as they navigate the impending loss of protections. She spoke with MPB's Kobe Vance. I'm on medical leave right now, and it's pretty hard. When you say it's pretty hard, what have, what have you been going through these past few weeks, or the, for the year, I guess? 
my kids been trying to help me all they can. It's keeping me doubling up with them because I like my little independence now. I do. Mm -hmm. I do. I'm a senior citizen. Mm -hmm. I don't not look it, but I am. I'm 67. Yeah, and I love, you know, my little solitude when I get to reading, you know, mm -hmm. especially my Bible and stuff anymore. I like a lot of quiet. And so, you know, when it comes to uh, paying bills over the past year, what have things been like for you? This year was my hardest year because other than that, I had a sturdy job. And I've been there for 12 years, and I loved it. And it was steady five days a week. But now I'm not working at all, and I just got the weight on everything, and it's, it's, it's a big change for me. And so, you know, today they're doing this program to try to help people out and get, get some assistance going. Um, right. You know, what are you looking for? Uh, what are you I'm, hoping to I'm get? I'm looking for help, mostly with, with my rent, because she done went up. And not only that, everything else done went up, too. And so I'm just nipping at it, you know, and it's not good. It's on time, but it's just not all time. So what, what could it mean for you to be able to have uh, a lower bill or, you know, some assistance paying your bills? Well, it's kind of hard, dear, when you don't rely on what you can do and what God has blessed you with, you know. It's, it's really hard. Don't make me cry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, you're good. You're, I'm sorry about that. Well, it's just not, not so much the loss. It's just was my livelihood, you know. Yeah. And I like, I miss that. What do you think this could mean for the, your future, though? You know, uh, being able to go forward, especially as we hope for the pandemic to end soon. I hope so. I hope so, because so many people have been affected about this. Not just me. It's been a lot of people, and some of them lost their lives and stuff. And I know some of them, because I've lost a lot of members in my family. You know, they didn't want to take the shots, and I did. I took both of them. Too. And I was there. My church provided it, and it was it was okay. It hurts a little bit, but you get over it, you know. But other than that, it's beneficial. Everybody said they're scared of it, but ain't nothing to be scared of. God got your back. Uh, I'm also curious. You know, um, a few months ago, Jackson had a pretty severe water situation going on. Oh you know? yeah. Uh, what have things been like at your home? It's been kind of scary. I use a white cup to see what's in it all the time. Just let it sit there for a minute. You'll see. Um, you know, paying your water bills, what is it like to be able to have to deal with that? Yeah, and I had some busted pipes I didn't know about, so this is when the increase went up. And now that they're fixed, kind of fixed right now, holding it, but it's still, I'm behind. I'm yeah. behind. Are you going to be trying to get assistance for the water stuff too? Yes, if I can, if I can. I'm praying that they will help me with what I need because they all in my name, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's just Jesus and me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that you like check your cups for uh, for dirt and stuff. What, what has that been like, uh, having to you know be a bit more conscious about that every day? Yeah, because we got to bathe with this water, and I let it run, you know, all the time in the beginning to see how it was, but it ended up the same way. I just get it a lot hotter, <laughs> a little bit hotter than I normally get it, but. You're still in the back of your mind, you're saying it's not right, you know, and you know it's not right. I don't drink that water. My kids bring me water. Now, um, so do you, you use like bottled water and things like yes, that? Yes, I have to because I know that's good. It's good. 
What would you like to see the city do to address the water stuff? Change back to where it was, because when I grew up here, it was so much better. We didn't have to worry about this. I don't know where the money's going to, and I'm not concerned about that, but I know it should have been addressed long before this, you know? Because we got babies. I got grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and I want them to live a healthy life. Like I did, you know. Cause we used to deal with that well water, and that was the best water ever back in the country, you know. But I don't know about that anymore either. But like I say, if we're paying this, we should get the best. You know, we should. We're trying, you know, the best as we can. Sometimes we fall behind a little bit, but that's, that's normal. That's normal. People got different situations, you know. That was Elizabeth Dunbar. She lives in Jackson. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.